Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started, huh? Let's get it started in here. Purple Rain, no. Sign of the Time. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack, sorry. Oh, Star Wars is uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive and slightly opinionated look at the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. I feel like I need a tagline after I say that. Having recorded about eight episodes, I still don't have a tagline for this podcast other than the comprehensive and somewhat opinionated look. We'll get to one eventually. I am, as always, your host, Wendy Kay. Welcome back to the podcast, dear listener. Or if you're new to this podcast, hey, music lovers, welcome to this podcast about me listening to albums for the first time and letting you know my thoughts about them. And today we're going to be talking about Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time from 1989, Eurythmics' Touch from 1984, and Pearl Jam's Vitology from 1994. So let's just jump into it. So first of all, I want to welcome back to the show Bonnie Wright. I remember covering her album Give It Up from 1972 at number 495, and actually I called this one of the greatest albums of all time, if you would remember. Or if you don't, don't worry, dear listener, you will soon discover that I have an ongoing list about what I think is the greatest of all time albums. I am just as opinionated as Rolling Stone, fun fact. So this album, Nick of Time, is also listed at number 292 from 2012 and 2003. Let me read what Rolling Stone has to say about this album. After being dumped by her previous label, blues rocker Bonnie Raitt exacted revenge with this multi-platinum Grammy Award winner, led by an on-fire version of John Haight's Thing Called Love and the brilliant title track, Study of a Midlife Crisis Told from a Woman's Perspective. Producer Dawn Woods helped her sharpen the songs without sacrificing any of her slide guitar fire, and as Raitt herself pointed out, her tenth try was my first sober album. Interesting. Now, this album... This album is so interesting in how different it is from Give It Up. It feels very much like of its time from being a late 80s, almost 90s album. Like, if you told me that this was an 80s album, I would say yes, completely. There's a lot more instrumentation and a lot more production that went into this album that I don't think really shows up on Give It Up. Give It Up kind of gave this feeling of, like, these songs had been around for a long time, and some of them had been around longer because a lot of the song, a couple of the songs on Give It Up were covers. This album in particular feels dated. And not really in a good way. When I talked about in Give It Up, I made this comparison between her and artist Carol King. And this album in particular kind of gave me more of that feeling of we're getting into the Carol King territory of things. It kind of reminds me of when Carol King sang I Feel the Earth 
Move, or whatever that song is called. The title song, Nick of Time, the first thought that immediately jumped in my head was, this is time after time, or it feels very similar to time after time. So I really, if you're listening and, and you have great mixing skills, I would love a mashup of Nick of Time and Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. I think that would be a really great mashup. These two rockers. But, you know, it that kind of shows that Nick of Time just feels like it belongs in the 80s. And it feels a lot more like it's an R&B album than like being a blues album. The song Thing Called Love, I called it a country rock love child. I'm not sure if I would say it's folksy, but it definitely has like this kind of country vibe to it that I was kind of digging and I thought it was a I thought it was a good song but as Rolling Stone has pointed it out this is a cover now I'm kind of questioning kind of like do I like Bonnie Raitt or do I like the songs that she's covering and do I think that she as an artist is interesting because she picks really interesting songs to cover or at least she picks songs that she can cover in a good way. And I feel like I'm going to have to think about this question a little bit more. And fortunately, I'm going to have to listen to Nick of Time again. But I just know that I'm not exactly sure I'm looking forward to re-listening to this album because I don't think it's as memorable as Give It Up. I think it's a serviceable album. And I mean, I'm glad that, you know, Bonnie Raitt, like, was able to get out of the horrible like label that she was a part of as Rolling Stone mentioned and also like she was able to achieve sobriety during this album I can't only imagine how difficult that must have been and like the strength that she had to endure and she presents through her sobriety um because getting over an addiction is I would say I can understand why Rolling Stone would want to include this album, but I did not find this as memorable as Give It Up. So it's going to be an interesting time re-listening to both of these albums in the future. And I really do wonder if I'm actually going to like Bonnie Raitt after this. I think, like, obviously she has had massive success and her musicality is there and, like, what the production she wants to put on is really interesting. I'm just not sure. Obviously, this evolution had to happen in her music, but it's so weird how much of this evolution I just kind of don't like. I also don't know if Bonnie Raitt is still putting out albums. Um, if she is, does Nick of Time reflect what her current discography is? Or did she kind of go back to give it up? Or did she feel very pressured to kind of like challenge herself on making something that wasn't give it up <laughs> i guess i'm gonna have to research her a little bit more and listen to her work a little bit better so for a greatest of all time it's okay i probably won't have put it on this list but anyway we have two more albums to talk about so i'm gonna jump right into talking about another person who has shown up on this list previously and who i erroneously left or forgot to mention that they were in the 2012 list, and that is Eurythmics and their album Touch. And here's what Rolling Stone had to say about this album. Annie Lennox looks like a gender-bending cyborg, but she sang with soul. Producer Dave Stewart hid 
behind his beard and masterminded the sound. Together, they made divine synth pop, especially Who's That Girl, a tale of a kinked-up sexual obsession, and their massive hit, Here Comes the Rain Again. As I have previously talked about in my first ever episode in Spot 500, this was the first greatest of all time, the first goat I ever gave myself and the one I considered a goat. So I decided I wanted to re-listen to this album for fun because it had been (laughs) two weeks (laughs) since recording this episode that I decided I wanted to re-listen to it. But, but dear listener, as you may remember from my 500th episode, I talked about how the album kind of splits into two especially when you are listening to the remastered and re-edited version on Spotify. And that album splitting happens at the song, you take some lentils. So I decided to treat myself, and since I understood what this album was going to be about, I decided to stop my listening experience at you take some lentils so that I could have a better time with myself. And boy, oh boy, was I right in that because it's a short album, but goddamn it, it's just... Man, this thing holds up really nicely, and, like, this second re-listen was really, really great. Especially, I caught this odd lyric from the first cut, and I'm just gonna read it out loud, and it's, I'm a white girl, you can see my skin, look at this picture that I'm living in, old scores never settle down, I keep walking till I'm buried in the cold ground. I'm very confused by this lyric, and I guess I'm going to have to re-look at these lyrics and re-listen to the song again, because I was just like, what? What, you... <laughs> what is the song about again? <laughs> what you... What's happening, Annie Lennox? Tell me. Also, the second time around, there was this very weird voice sampler that happened towards the end of First Cut that I didn't notice the first time I listened to, and I was kind of taken aback by. But you know what, dear listener? The song No Fear, No Hate, No Pain, No Broken Hearts it still slaps. It's still so good. This album just really solidifies it. I would love, I pray, I pray Gaga does a cover of an Annie Lennox song at some point. Please, if there is a god in this world, please give me this cover. That would just make my day. That would just make me so happy. So if anyone is interested in bothering Gaga about this, please Please do so on my behalf. I'm I'm quite busy trying to record this podcast. But yeah, so it was kind of fun being able to revisit this kind of old friend now, even though I've only known them for about two weeks. Touch is still a great fucking album, and in comparison to Nick of Time, it was so great to come back to this album and just like be like, yes, thank you. It left me with so many happy good feelings. So finally, we gotta talk about this last album, and that's Pearl Jam's Vitology from 1994. So here's what Rolling Stone had to say about Vitology. Their previous album, Verses, made Pearl Jam the most successful band in the world. They celebrated by suing Ticketmaster and making Vitology, where their mastery of rock, past, and future became complete. Soulful ballads like Nothing Man are matched by hardcore-influenced rockers such as Spin the Black Circle. So, that's pretty punk rock of them to sue Ticketmaster. And if any of you don't know a lot about Ticketmaster and their refund policy, especially during this pandemic, if you just want another reason to hate Ticketmaster and 
any of their subsidiaries, go read an article about that. That I know this is like old news in terms of the pandemic, but this still... Ooh, hearing horror stories about Ticketmaster and the way that they treated not only like their customers, but also the way that they treated venues, artists, producers, like they are awful. And I have no fear of saying that. Yeah, if you want to learn a little bit more about how Insidious Ticketmaster is, you will have a lot of fun listening to their woes and the woes of the public when it came to their refund policy during the pandemic. It is such a time. Anyway, back to Pearl Jam. So, Vitology is an interesting... It. <laughs> I don't know why I keep describing albums as interesting. I need to stop doing that because I'm going to let you in on something. And my family has made fun of me so much about this. Whenever I experience something, and I don't know how, how to quite process, but I know that I'm uncomfortable by it, or I don't necessarily like it, instead of saying, I don't like this immediately, I instead say that this was interesting. Interesting has become a placeholder instead of saying, this is bad. And I'm trying to get that back into my vocabulary of being able to distinguish something as bad or good or what have you. And also, interesting just kind of doesn't mean anything, you know? Once you say a word so many different times, like, it doesn't mean anything. So, Vitology it was also listed at number 485 in 2012. Also, the album 10 which is listed at number 160 in 2020 and 209 in 2012 and 207 in 2003. I thought I was unfamiliar with Pearl Jam, and turns out I'm not. I like to thank alternative stations for showcasing Pearl Jam and keeping them around longer than I thought they would be around. So I've heard Better Man before, and I'm sure I've heard this on the radio. I have also heard the song Alive off of their album 10 before but when i was trying to figure out like what pearl jam song have i heard what jam have i heard my first thought was a song by the foo fighters it's the arcade fire arctic monkeys problem where i guess somehow in my brain i also have the foo fighters and pearl jam kind of mixed up together so i am very sorry in advance to both of those fans I don't know if there's, like, a rivalry. I don't know if there's bad blood between any of these bands. Uh, I don't know if both both sets of fans actually like the other group's work. But um, if you are a big stan of Pearl Jam and the Foo Fighters, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. I'm very sorry. Because they sound very similar to me, somehow. So starting off into this album, which I have never heard before, my first immediate reaction is, oh fuck, I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to have a hard time understanding Eddie Vedder. <laughs> because very much in the same way that I had a problem understanding Husker Du, you know, once someone starts like that screamo or that larynx shredding type of singing, I'm just like, I can't understand you. And it's not the Arcade Fire problem. I guess this is a staple of grunge music that I really didn't realize. And I should have known better. So, my second thought about 
Pearl Jam is I kind of saw them as a more mainstaying and more mainstream version of Nirvana. And going through the genius lyrics and reading some people's commentary and notes on the different lines, I wasn't actually too far off on that, so yay me! <laughs> I'm sure Eddie Vedder does not like being compared to Nirvana. Some of the lyrics in some, in some of the songs sound very Nirvana-ish, so I can see one being influenced by the other. Also, um, so I wasn't actually a very big fan of the first couple of songs on Vitology. I thought the lyrics were quite terrible, and the style of singing just was very off-putting to me. But then again, if that is uh, what grunge music is supposed to be, I have a similar problem when I listen to Nirvana. I listen to Nirvana when I'm in a different state, when I'm in a state of mind where I'm like, I just need something to like be screaming in my head and someone else screaming the emotions that I am feeling right now. And that was high school. Like that was, that was high school for some part. So I think I probably would have appreciated Pearl Jam a lot more in high school, especially the song In the Black Circle, because it's just a song about a record, but it's like, oh my god, it's a time, my guys, it is, it is a time. But then, Eddie Vedder starts singing differently, and kind of keeps in that same fashion for Not For You. Like, he becomes a little less larynx-shredding. So I was like, hey, I can finally understand you. And that's fun. I kind of got that Vitology and what this album stood for was it is a very fuck society. Or at least not for you is a good fuck society song. This album is deep. I'll give it that. It is a very deep album. I think this is a really good for somebody who's never listened to Pearl Jam to just kind of hear about dark side of the rich and famous and the problems with becoming so successful so fast and then not knowing what to do with that success and being hounded by everybody that you just don't know how to deal with that and it can be very jarring and it can be very isolating and it can be a lot of like probably first world problems you know because suddenly have more money than you probably had in a long time or ever in your life. But at the same time, like, I can't imagine going through that transition quite as quickly. Suddenly, your world is very different from the world that you thought that you knew and the world that, and the expectations that you had set yourself and what people had set on you in this world. And then suddenly you have a lot more responsibilities you have to think about and you have a lot you have a lot more to deal with. It's probably not as stressful as like uh everything that's been going on with COVID and all that shit, but you know, it's that same sort of like odd whiplash and this sudden how did you get to be here? What was a the moment? There's a couple of times later in this album where I was just asking, does Pearl Jam hate their fans? Or is their problem mostly with society and with machine? Because for a couple of lines, like, especially in Corduroy, like, that song is a brutal fucking song about the price of fame. Like, there should be a playlist about the dark side of fame 
So you can have David Bowie and John Lennon's fame, and you can have Corduroy. Ooh! Oh, also on this list could be I Took a Pill in Ibiza by Mike Posner. Good. We, we're starting a um, Dark Sides of Fame list from a cis white male perspective. Anyway, we're going to get more songs about the downsides of the rich and famous maybe at some point. I mean, there's a standout line about, like, wanting a handshake, not a picture. And I think that's mostly talking about fans. I think Eddie Vedder is, like, trying to tell people, like, he wants a genuine connection rather than just being seen as, like, this commodity and this item that people can just kind of have for bragging rights. Or even, like, you know, if it's the paparazzi that would have been following him around. But just, like, having this dissociative, very odd experience of being seen and treated as a commodity and something that you can put a price tag on for the first time rather than being seen and treated as like a human being corduroy is a dark song guys it's also a really great song (laughs) another song that's about i guess the media or you know being annoyed by society in general is the song bugs which has this fucking accordion in it and it's so weird (laughs) Like, I don't understand why there's an accordion in it. It never shows up again. But at least it makes this very distinctive song and one that's memorable when talking about bugs. There's also this really great line about not wanting to suck Satan's dick in Satan's bed. Like, great line. Thank you so much. Didn't know I needed this, but thank you. There's also a lot of whipping sounds in the song they're whipping. Into shape. Shape it up. Yeah, I didn't understand the whipping. Also, the way that Eddie Vedder says, they're whipping. He says it in a very odd way, and I don't know if I quite agree with it, but then again, this could also be, like, you know, some people just have an interesting way of saying things, and that's that's fine. I, it just kind of was like, wait a second. Oh, by the way, Nothing Man, fucking great song. Nothing Man's a really great song, and also it's a very personal song and I think it really stands out from the rest of the album it hurts a lot it's a very sad bitter song and you know if anybody has ever had to experience a breakup before this is a song also if anyone's ever had to experience a breakup while having depression this is a whole fucking mood (laughs) If you want to have your heart ripped out by listening to a Pearl Jam song, this is a great song for it. I, Devanita, is a filler song. And it's about three minutes of filler. Don't read the lyrics of I, Devanita, because they're nothing. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing important in the lyrics. I would have maybe put this song at the beginning of the album as a sort of opener and like a transition for getting the audience into this album because it reflects better with the final track with it being a remix i say a remix of stuff that eddie vetter had recorded while he was at a mental hospital this recording of like either the television or with the patients that were in this place I, Devanita, would have worked better at the beginning of the album just to sort of set you into this kind of different place and this, like, odd, this feeling of, like, isolation. 
And the last song that, like, was kind of solidified the This Is Mainstream Nirvana is the song Immortality. And as the comments on Genius Lyrics have pointed out, or have talked about, is this an homage? Is this talking about Kurt Cobain and his suicide? Is this not? Were any of these lyrics rewritten to have Kurt Cobain in mind, but it was originally not about him? Like, I don't want to go into that discussion because, you know, that's between Eddie Vedder and the band. And, you know, it's hard to say. But Immortality makes me think this would have been a good Nirvana song if Nirvana had covered it. If this wasn't the ending album track, this is a great way of almost closing out the album and talking about the hopelessness of drug addiction and the contemplation of death, which is then rediscussed and rehashed in Stupid Mop. I can see where their mentality was after all of this fucking success. I don't even think Versus is an album that is on any of the Rolling Stone lists. Let me fucking see for- I don't- it's not. So that's really wild that Rolling Stone wouldn't have included the album that made Pearl Jam famous as one of the greatest albums of all time. Now that's really saying something. Huh. I wonder what they have against Versus. Because while I can understand why this would be interesting in terms of like talking about the dark side of fame and all the various problems that come with it, I wonder what made Versus famous in the first place, and if I've actually heard anything off of Versus. But that's another episode for another day, and if someone out there really loves the album Versus by Pearl Jam and wants to tell me exactly why Versus is the origin story of Pearl Jam, as we have all come to realize, I would love to hear it, and I would love to know your thoughts and opinions about it. This version of the album I listened to is not the ending. Because this is a remastered version, and of course, when you have a remastered version, you like to include some other shit into it. So you have a guitar-organ combo track of Better Man, a corduroy alternate take, and a Nothing Man demo. I'm just going to say right here and now, having listened to those three tracks... I would say that the Corduroy alternate take is probably better than the original. Can't tell you ex exactly why, but I, my first initial feeling is it's it's better for some reason. When I have to re-listen to this album again, I will give you a better take on why I think it's probably better than the original. As we come to a close, we must, dear listener, come up with what is considered a goat. The greatest of all time. Is it Nick of Time, Touch, or Vitology? And having already talked about Touch, and it being already considered one of my greatest of all times personally, that just leaves Nick of Time and Vitology together, and I guess I had less things to say about Nick of Time. That means that Pearl Jam is the winner? Shockingly? So, Biology is somehow a greatest of all time. Not really sure if I agree with this, by the way. 
I'm getting the same feeling about calling Pearl Jam's Vitology a greatest of all time. The same feeling I get whenever I eat black olives on a pizza. It doesn't quite feel right in my mouth, and I'm not sure I actually like the taste of it. But I guess I'll have to keep eating it and see what happens. My whole ass opinion about like the greatest of all time albums might change. Because we have encountered albums that definitely deserve some recognition on this list. And if you listeners, again, if anybody has an album that is not covered on the Rolling Stone list and wants to bitch about it with me, I am all ears. This is why I think about having a second podcast, you know? Because you can't satisfy everybody, and and Rolling Stone can't satisfy anybody. When placing Vitology on a greatest albums of all time list, Vitology is actually going at the very fucking bottom of this list. Right underneath Bonnie Raitt's Give It Up. Yeah, that feels about right. Like, I can't undo a majority of the feeling that I got from the first couple of songs off of this album, and then the sudden switch to much more interesting and in-depth and deeper look at the price of fame with Not For You and the fuck society message from it. We're going to have to talk about biology again in this podcast, but that's for another day and that's for another time. So thank you so much for listening. And DJ, let's drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy Kay. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.